It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Appreciate you listening. Hope you had a sensational weekend. Brian Kilmeade Show coming your way. Thanks to everyone around the country who's been listening, turning us on, whether it's a podcast or listening to us live. We truly appreciate it. Uh, This hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Mark Penn. I want to put this whole race in perspective from somebody. Yeah, he worked for Bill Clinton, but he actually stays ahead of the curve and talks about trends in this country when it comes to November 3rd with the Senate, November 3rd with the president. And let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Well, we're definitely going to be somewhere between 200,000 and 300,000. And whether we're closer to 200,000 or closer to 300,000 depends on what we do and how this evolves. We've now had two waves of this epidemic. Uh, That is Scott Gottlieb, knows what he's talking about. The coronavirus cases drop and death rates don't. In the U.S., as districts big and small debate ways to get kids back in the classroom. As a rescue package hits a brick wall and the president tries to save it through the power of the pen, hypocritical critics take aim, but I see hustle and leverage. What about you? Number two. They are a revolutionary group that is interested in in some form of socialism, communism. They're essentially Bolsheviks. It's a form of, of sort of, it's a new form of urban guerrilla warfare. No question. That's the Attorney General talking to Mark Levin on television. He's calling it urban guerrilla warfare, driven by a lust for power, and it's happening in all our major cities, many of them anyway. These are the words of our, this, these are the words of our AG as examples crop up across the nation. In example, Portland, 75 days. Seattle, uh, cutting their budgets when it comes to law enforcement. Chicago, did you see the looting that took place this weekend? And really disturbing stats coming out of New York. How bad is the problem? How do we stop it? Let's discuss it. Number one. Well, he's narrowed the field. He said it'd have to be a woman. I believe he believes it'd be a woman of color. So the field is a little narrow, and all of them have some pluses and minuses. That is uh, Kevin McCarthy talking about the VP stakes 2020. After Biden's worst two weeks, this seems to be Trump's best chance to close the electoral gap with the former VP having to pick a running mate. Why? I believe it's Kamala Harris's to lose. But speaking of VP, so far, I thought it was very interesting is that her mentor, the mayor of uh, the mayor of San Francisco, says, do not take this. Uh, the last thing you want to do is become vice president. It's a dead-end job. Look at Al Gore. Look at uh, Mike Pence. Mike Pence not a favor to uh, to take over for Trump in 2024 as leader of the party, although he's a great guy, a wonderful person, just not charismatic enough to be president, in my view. And then you have Vice President Biden, who I think is on his way to losing. So he says, don't do it. Become an attorney general. Make a real impact. But we'll see uh, how it stands. So let's look electorally what the president's up against. So... Uh, Looking at NBC. Now, everyone says, okay, CBS, NBC, you know where they stand. I get it. But it does show trends. In Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, it's Biden by six. But do you know why? They go down to the handling of coronavirus. He's only got 37% approval with that. In Wisconsin, six-point difference as well. They only give him a 32% chance of the coronavirus. It goes to show you how much he'd be up in all these battleground states if there was no pandemic. But this is the situation. Biden currently, according to NBC, leads in all 20 Hillary won states. Remember, Hillary lost 30 to 20. Uh, Biden has six Trump states securely, not securely, but in his column by over five points. 
Uh, that equals 334 electoral votes. Now, for Trump, he's got 20 states and 125. Now, he was trying to expand his map in uh, in um, uh, in Nevada as well as New Mexico, but they seem to have lost interest in that as well as Minnesota. I got to talk to some of their experts about what they plan on doing. But overall, this is an opening for the president to close the gap. You're losing in August. You could still win in November, but he's got to close the gap. Tim Murtaugh joined me. He's the Trump 2020 communications director, and he just talked about Biden as a candidate and what he saw with his temper. Cut to. Anytime Joe Biden is pressed and gets a question that he doesn't like, anytime he feels that he's under any criticism at all, he really loses his cool and he lashes out and he fights back. I mean, that's really not a great sign. That's maybe why the, the, his handlers don't let him out in public very often at all. Uh, the other thing is that when a black journalist asks him that question, not only does he get angry, but the first place his mind goes is to make a remark about illegal drug use and ask the guy if he is a cocaine junkie. And, and you know, th- this would be alarming enough if Joe Biden didn't have a pattern of this. It's true. And he told me that I was substituting for Jesse over the weekend. So there's a report by the De- De- Department of National Intelligence. And they say that uh, reports early are on that Russia wants to infiltrate our election and they like Trump and China wants to do the same thing and they like Biden. Why wouldn't they? Now, in terms of Russia, the president's been definitely like Vladimir Putin. I can't understand it. But in terms of policies, I have no complaints. In fact, you look at what he's done with NATO, the more spending. He's got increased troops in NATO. That's true. Poland says, please, we'll build you a base. We'll name it after you. And we seem to be wanting to put troops there. Now, he's upset at Germany for taking the natural gas pipeline and making the hub right through Germany. Say, wait a second, you want me to protect you against against Russia and you're taking natural gas, which means they can freeze you out in the winter because you got that pipeline? So that is not being easy on Russia. That's called calling our allies into account. Sanctioning individuals. Now, we're walking away from the uh, nuclear agreement because they seem to be breaking it. But when it comes to China, the president's been unbelievably aggressive, much to the glee, I think, of people like Senator Schumer who thought we were, for the longest time, too nice to China. Much should be making people like Barack Obama's administration happy because they humiliated President Obama, making him leave off the cargo entrance on Air Force One in his final visit to that nation. So listen to Robert O'Brien, who's okay now after coronavirus. We don't like to play up the recoveries, only the positive tests. Cut three. They'd like the uh, the president to lose, and uh, and China, like Russia, like Iran, have, have have engaged in cyber attacks and phishing and that sort of thing, uh, uh, with with respect to our, our election infrastructure, with respect to websites and that sort of thing. We're we're aware of it, and we're we're taking steps to counter it. Whether it's China or Russia or Iran, we're not going to put up with it. And there will be severe consequences with any country that att- attempts to interfere with our free and fair elections. Whether whether they're their, their leaders prefer, prefer Joe Biden or prefer Donald Trump. It doesn't matter. We're, we're Americans. We don't, we're not going to have foreign countries deciding who our next president is going to be. That's outrageous. Robert O'Brien's really strong. I would add this. Uh, China has responded to us sanctioning individual people of their Politburo, whatever they call it, where they have uh, sanctioned 11 U.S. lawmakers. So bad news for Ted Cruz, Senator Rubio, uh, Senator uh, Toomey, Pat Toomey, uh, and 11 others. No Trump administration officials. They don't care. I mean, it's a joke. Who who cares? So they're not allowed to go to China. Fantastic. They can't use TikTok until Microsoft buys it. That's fine. But guess who agrees that Biden would be a better choice from China? Nancy Pelosi. 
Do you not even know what she's saying? Cut four. I have no, take no um, uh, so, criticism for saying this, but the Chinese, they, what, they, what they said is China would prefer Joe Biden, whether they do, that's their conclusion, that they would prefer Joe Biden. She, she's breathless, and I got to give credit to Dana Bash and Chris Wallace. They just called her out because of the terrible negotiations that have gone on in Capitol Hill. This last rescue package has been a mess. No one's giving. Meanwhile, things like the PPP program, everybody's for. Things like unemployment insurance, everybody's for. There's so many $1,200 stimulus checks, everybody's for. But they have 80% agreement on, but nobody wants to go the last lap. They put out $3.5 trillion. They know Republicans aren't even going to sign off. They don't even want to sign off on $1 trillion after they've already done four different rescue packages prior to that. So i got to give the president credit. Why? He took action. On Saturday night, he says, I'm going to do some... Uh, executive actions. I uh, actually, I want to go out of my way to give people an idea of what I'll do. When it comes to student loans, December 31st, you don't have to pay them. All right? Don't pay them until December 31st. When it comes to payroll tax exemptions for people who make under $100,000, that means you get more of your money back. I'm going to do it. I'm putting it in unilaterally. When it comes to supplemental employment insurance, it means you get your unemployment insurance and then you get more money. I'm going to give 400, but 300's from me, the federal government, and 100's going to be from your state. States don't want to do that. That's fine. He also ordered uh, those people that he can to look into stopping evictions. Listen, I don't love any of these. I don't even love the executive action. But he's taking action because Congress didn't. Why these people are upset by him taking action. First off, they want to make sure that everybody knows that this is illegal. How can you do this? Really? You had Barack Obama in his last four years say, I'm going to use my pen and sign everything by executive action. And not one Democrat had a problem with that. Here's Dick Durbin, cut 29. If that is the standard, we've not only accepted it, we've offered it. Uh, we were at $3.4 trillion in the bill that Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats passed 12 weeks ago, 12 weeks ago. And now we've come down to the range of $2 trillion. They were at a trillion. We've asked them to come up a trillion. It, it does exactly what Mr. Navarro suggested. Uh, we are ready to meet the White House and the Republicans halfway. We've said that from the start. And listen to Chris Wallace. I mean, listen, a lot of people think he's uh, too easy on Democrats and too tough on Republicans. I don't feel that way. Here's Wallace yesterday, cut 34. You're known as a mass, master negotiator, but didn't you mess this one up? Because you talk about all the things that the president's bill... Let me, let me just finish, if I may, Speaker. Uh, now, because there's no deal at all, cities and states won't get any money. There's no money for the post office. There's no money for hospitals. There's no money for state boards of election. Uh, you knew that the president was threatening to take this executive action. I understand that that you weren't going to get everything you wanted and didn't get everything you wanted, but should you have cut a deal? And are you ready to go back into talks to try to come up with a fuller package? Well, clearly, you don't have an understanding of what is happening here, both in the uh, weakness of the president's executive orders, uh, which don't give the money uh, enhanced benefit, but puts a complicated formula there, which will take a while, if at all, to accomplish, to put money in the pockets of the American people. Can she get out of sentence without losing her breath? I mean, what's going on with her? Uh, Chris Wallace, I give him credit. 
And, and at Dan Vash, too, because it's really about the American people. It's not about politics. I mean, my goodness, it's August. Getting money to people is necessary because there's so many reclosures of certain sectors of society, hospitality especially, and you go and negotiate. I thought Republicans waited too long. When it became, it wasn't clear in June that we were going to have a problem in July, but you should have started before August. And he should have started a little bit earlier. And the fact that Mitch McConnell's not involved because he can't get, they don't think even 20 Republicans to sign off on it. I think you got to look out for Tom Tillis, Cory Gardner. I think you got to go look out for Susan Collins, people in extremely tough fights to keep their seats. If you don't want to be in the minority in the Senate, come up with something. Nobody loves spending money we don't have. But I don't think these businesses love going belly up for nothing that they've done wrong. And it's not even 2008 where you could say, I took a mortgage I shouldn't have, even though I knew it was wrong, the bank gave it to me. No, I'm running my business great and the pandemic hits that we still don't know the answer on to, to uh, how, it was, how it got here, how it started, and how to stop it. one 408 I'll take your calls when we come back. Uh, we'll talk about this. I think the executive action puts more pressure on both sides to do something. What about you? We're going to break down... Uh, this race with Mark Penn, managing director of Stagwell Group, but you know him for years as a as a key uh, Clintonite. But now he is, uh, I think, extremely fair and balanced when it comes to what's happening in, in the political realm. Uh, back in a moment, this beautiful Monday. Don't move. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Kept a very low infection rate, about 1%, one of the lowest in the country over the last six, seven weeks now. So I think if Connecticut can't get reopened, I don't know who can around the country. And we're doing it led by public health, making sure everybody's wearing the mask, making sure that we have the plexiglass where needed, uh, cohorting so that one fifth grade class doesn't party with another fifth grade class. And uh, I think we're going to give our kids the best shot for in-classroom education. And that is Ned Lamont, uh, a liberal Democrat, 
from Connecticut. The numbers are down. He wants to get his kids back in school. So over the weekend, he spoke up. And I think that's interesting. Governor Cuomo said the same thing. I'm going to listen to teachers and parents. You got to feel secure. Your kids are your kids. I understand it. But staying home is also problematic. They're not going to grow. They're not going to develop. They're not going to interact. And I also think it's an important message, too. When things get tough, we adjust. We don't just knuckle under. We have evaluated, we look at the risk, and we move forward. Governor Pete Ricketts of Nebraska, we've got two great affiliates in Nebraska. He says, I want to send my kids back to school. And they and Neil Cavuto's retort was, aren't you guys a hotspot? But listen to his message, Cut 22. That's why schools have to put together these plans where they have you know kids wearing masks and cohorting kids and temperature checks and social distancing, you know, trying to spread them out as much as possible. All these things are what we're using in a variety of different areas um, to be able to, to make this work. And he went on uh, to talk about why it was necessary for him to do this. Cut 21. So there's a lot of reasons why we want to have kids uh, back in school. And it really is up to our superintendents, our school boards, to put together a plan to be able to manage this. And I think we got to remember that, you know, while we're working very hard to get a vaccine, we've had local public health officials talk about people getting reinfected, which really means that there could be some, you know, snags when you get a vaccine. It may not be, you know, 100 percent effective. It may not last very long. And so we can't just go forward with uh, our school shut down permanently. We've got to figure out ways to manage it. Yeah, that's the whole thing. We have to figure out ways to manage it. You can't just knuckle under. And how do you feel about that? one 866 All right, some good news. CDC says uh, uh, they expect the deaths to decrease over the next three weeks. have been pretty accurate of late. They also say saliva tests should be coming in the next two weeks. We need a situation where we don't have to go to a lab. We don't have to get swabbed. We don't have to wait for results because swabs cost money and take logistics. The, uh, the reagents cost money and takes logistics. Then you got to send it to the lab. Time, time, time. If you have to wait eight days, even seven days for a test, throw it out. And the one thing that I will say from Bill Gates and Microsoft, I don't agree with much of he's saying. I know how bright he is, but I just think he comes off sanctimonious and condescending to everybody when it comes to pandemics. But he came out and said, if you, sh- the president of the United States should say, hey, labs, if you wait eight days to get people back, we are not reimbursing, get, get their results. We are not reimbursing you. And then we'll see. And then if worse comes with those labs start rejecting people, so they'll go to someplace else in order to get the three-day return so they get paid. I like that idea. So a little bit more. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast. Like, subscribe, and share. The Post had a great story today, and they looked at a couple of situations. There was a Boston homeless shelter, 147 infected patients. 88% had no symptoms, even though they shared the living space. Tyson Foods, we know about poultry, their poultry plant, 481 infection, infections. 95% were asymptomatic. Arkansas, North Carolina, Ohio, Virginia had prisons with 3,277 infected, but 96% were asymptomatic. They had no symptoms. They didn't feel bad. They were just carriers. And what does that show you? It shows you perhaps that the asymptomatic people who lived or worked so closely to others who fell severely ill wondered why the some are going ill and some not. Did, they do, did the dose 
of their viral exposure make a difference? Was it genetics? Or might some people have partial resistance to the virus because of a different vaccine they might have taken when they were younger? And then some were saying, maybe it's about the mask. If you're wearing the mask, they say you're 40% less chance of showing any symptoms at all. So it might protect you as well as protect others. The exact opposite of what they told us in March, April, May. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There has been a lot of negative stuff dropped on a couple of candidates, Susan uh, Susan Rice and and, and Karen Bass in particular. Are you concerned about how all this looks? Uh, I'm concerned, but I'm not surprised, Chuck. This is the political world we live in. Uh, It it never was beanbag. It's always been a tough game. Uh, But it's gotten much worse over the last several years. The the level of uh, preposterous claims, the charges that have been thrown... I mean, they've just gone out of sight. Uh, you know, lock her up, lock her up, for goodness sakes. And that is Dick Durbin talking about the opposition research that Democrats are doing on Democrats because they all want the job as the number two to Joe Biden because it's going to be as valuable a vice presidential job as in the history of modern America because at 77 years old, Joe Biden is not at the top of his game, so to speak, and one term nobody's thinking about two terms if he does, in fact, win. Joining us now to put it in perspective is Mark Penn. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Great. Mark, first off, David Axrod tweeted out that this whole process, as you know, he's got uh, Barack Obama elected twice. This whole process is working against the vice presidential nominee and the party and Joe Biden because of the opposition research they're putting on each other. Do you buy that? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's a kind of odd process. I've really never seen a presidential race that is hasn't by now have the two candidates kind of joined in a campaign against each other with their battling programs. I mean, on the one hand, this should work to the to the help of any president who can campaign from the White House and then to the detriment of Joe Biden, who's been stuck, you know, outside the loop. But, uh, uh, you know, the polls show something of the opposite. So when you look at the candidates, you have Val Demings, you have Senator Harris, you have uh, Congresswoman Karen Bass, you have Senator Elizabeth Warren, and you have uh, Susan Rice. Who would you pick? Oh, I would would definitely have suggested picking Kamala Harris. I mean, she— you know, has substantial experience, uh, although she, she t- you know, accepted some of the uh, more left proposals during the primary. Her general record uh, has been more moderate. Uh, I, I think that she has the least downside and, you know, could be a strong VP campaigner. I'm very surprised that didn't happen two weeks ago. So maybe that's not going to happen because obviously he, he didn't come to that conclusion. Yet, or do you understand the timing? Do you think they wait for the convention? There's very little drama in the convention anyway, especially this year's. Maybe you have something to look forward to there. And if you did it early, it took the air out of that balloon. 
I think the opposite. I think had had this happened a week ago, he would have had two weeks of momentum going into the convention, you know, have two voices out there every day. Uh, and I think it pro- provides, you know, if nothing else, generally uh, a lot of uh, excitement and enthusiasm and fundraising and momentum. I think to wait for the convention, you had the convention anyway, right? Good point. Uh, Mark Penn's with us. He's the managing director of Stagwell Group and chief strategist for Bill Clinton 96, Hillary Clinton in 2000. So, Mark, I'm uh, looking at Joe Biden's last two weeks, and he hasn't done much. And he reads the prompter, takes a few friendly questions and leaves. But he had a few interviews last week that were just a nightmare where he loses his temper on a, on a reporter for asking about his cognitive ability. And then he have some other strange answers. Here's Tim Murtaugh, the 2020 communications director for Donald Trump. Cut two. Anytime Joe Biden is pressed and gets a question that he doesn't like, anytime he feels that he's under any criticism at all, he really loses his cool and he lashes out and he fights back. I mean, that's really not a great sign. That's maybe why the, the, his handlers don't let him out in public very often at all. Uh, the other thing is that when a black journalist asks him that question, not only does he get angry, but the first place his mind goes is to make a remark about illegal drug use and ask the guy if he is a cocaine junkie. And, and you know, th- this would be alarming enough if Joe Biden didn't have a pattern of this. They see some hope there, more than a little bit of hope on the Trump side, and it's with the candidate, his opponent. Do you think that's an opportunity for Trump? And is Tim Murtaugh always overstating it? Well, look, we're all going to see what kind of opportunity there is or isn't when there are 90-minute presidential debates. The, the one thing that's surprising about what the Trump campaign is doing is that they're lowering expectations for Biden. That is to say, instead of, wow, Biden's a champion debater, he, you know, he defeated two vice presidential you know, aspirants before, he's got 50 years of debate experience. Instead, they say the opposite. So if Biden gets on stage and, and can pass the most minimal test, he'll surprise people. Debates are always in the context of expectations, right? And they actually have raised their expectations for President Trump and lowered them for Joe Biden, which to me is interesting because usually you run the opposite strategy. It's kind of interesting. Jason Miller must have heard you because over the weekend, um, here is here's what he said. He goes, Joe Biden is actually a very good debater. He doesn't have as many gaffes as he does in the everyday interviews. I would make the argument that Joe Biden would even be the favorite in the debate since he's been doing them for 47 years. So I think people are starting to realize that. And Trump did say, I watched the Bernie Sanders debate and he did quite well in a one on one as opposed to the the big group settings. Evidently, Trump is concerned enough to have his session start already. Key Trump advisors, including uh, Jason Miller, I just told you, Governor Christie. He's supposed to play Joe Biden, and he's got a small circle like Stephen Miller, and they're beginning to work on these debates. Do you think it's—is this about the right time? To me, it almost seems early. Uh, yes, I would say this is a bit early, but, uh, you know, nothing like preparation for the debates because it's a little early because we haven't had the convention speeches. We don't really know what the platforms are until usually the convention speech is what you'd be working on now. And you'd be working on nailing, if you're the president, what's your second-term agenda? What is it people are voting for you to do in the next four years so that it's even so that it's better than the last four years? And then if you're the challenger, then you're also working on how you're going to change and make things different. So you would think that 80% of the focus would be on those two speeches, unless this year 
nobody's going to make out make too many proposals about anything. So uh, you know, I'm just tell you what I'll find out. Are you doing any polling on this? Uh, look, you know, we do our monthly Harvard Harris polls. You know, and and I think I think that that you know the one summary from that poll was it's the virus stupid at this point, which is to say that uh, President Trump was kind of sailing in a pretty strong direction, and then the virus seemed to subside, and then he pulled back from the virus, and then the virus reignited, and he's the president of the United States, and so he's seen as the person who's responsible for it. So he's got to get, you know, and his ratings went from 51 to 41 on the virus, and everything we've seen is really the result of that. Very interesting because I was watching the NBC map and they say uh, Biden has all 20 Hillary states and has gotten is uh, is up in six Trump won states for an electoral college total of 334. Trump has got his he's got 20 states uh, for electoral college total of 125. And, you know, he's losing out in Michigan. He's losing out in Pennsylvania. He's losing out in Wisconsin. And he's uh, working hard to keep Georgia as well as Arizona. So. What do you see in these battleground states? Well, you know, I'm a little bit less focused on the battleground states because I don't think Trump won or lost last time state by state. I think he won with a message that that appealed to previously Democratic working class voters. And I think there's two groups to watch here, you know, suburbanites and whether or not he's got a message for them because they defected in the midterms and his working class base. And then if he if he wins or loses the working class base, he wins all the swing states. If he wins or loses the suburbs, pretty much the same thing happens in places like, you know, Pennsylvania. So I really instead of look at states, I look at I look at the groups that are won and lost the messages that, that, that are out there. And this is the most under-messaged presidential campaign I've ever seen, to be honest. So the other thing that's going to be different about this is, are we going to get people out who might be concerned about the virus? Uh, no vaccine is going to be ready, it doesn't seem, by November 3rd, that people are going to take in great numbers. So what are we going to do about it? Mail-in voting is the answer for Democrats. For Republicans, they're extremely worried about it. And I think Bill Barr outlined the concern. Cut one. The idea that you, you, without any request from the voter, will, will mail out to your voting list all these thousands and thousands of ballots uh, is, is scary because most of those mailings go to a lot of addresses where the people no longer live. Uh, they're misdirected. And I think they will create a situation where they could easily create a situation where there's going to be a contested election. So a lot of people are concerned, as I am personally, that people are going to get these ballots. They didn't request them. And ballots are going to be flooding into homes and they're going to say, you know, what do I do with this? Can I still show up? Are the ballots going to be adjusted at the at the poll centers? Hey, I mailed one to the Kilmeads. That means let's cross out their name when they come to the poll center. Now, when I go to vote, if my if I did vote by mail, is it going to say that on the ledger? And if it does say that, if it doesn't say that or the post office hasn't recorded it yet, do I vote twice? Are we equipped to make this type of adjustment? Can't we just open up more poll centers and tell people now if you're nervous about going to the ballot box yourself, ask for a ballot? If not, it doesn't mean enough to you, then don't go. Why do you feel okay about the blanketing like Nevada's doing, just mailing everybody a ballot? 
Well, I had a plan a few years ago to turn all our ATMs into voting machines because they're secure, they're everywhere, uh, but nobody did that. So, um, look, the the voters on this are smarter than you think, right? Because the voters said, well, look, I want a mail-in option because I am concerned about going. And by the way, probably older people are, are, are more concerned. So, so I think this could help Democrats and Republicans here. So it's a little strange to see this all partisan. But Overwhelmingly, major voters recognized there could be a lot of fraud. They didn't want uncontrolled ballots, and 80% opposed ballot harvesting. I really think one of the most pernicious things invented is the idea that someone can stand there to pick up your ballot from you, that voters really want, whether it's by mail or in person, or as I would have had at the ATM, they want a private opportunity to free from any influence of anyone and totally secret. And, uh, and yeah, there, there could be chaos here unless people really get a handle on this. And you've seen it in New York with the Carolyn Maloney election. And you saw it in New Jersey, too, with an election. Mark, this shouldn't really be partisan. Joe Biden could even benefit from more accuracy with the voting. Uh, I just think that for to, to hit people who might not even live at that address or be alive with ballots— it, it welcomes fraud. And at the very least, if you know you don't feel comfortable going to a polling place, you broke your ankle or you ju- you're susceptible, you got pre-existing conditions to the virus. If you can't request the ballot, then you don't really want to vote. It's August. Request the ballot. You can't just give people ballots that don't request it because they might not be alive or live there. And I don't want the post office deciding my next president. Well, and of course, 20 percent of America moves every year. So that means at least 20 percent of the ballots could be going to the wrong address, yeah. but in the wrong hand. I did not know so, that stat. You are a fountain of information. 20 percent of America moves every year. So right. you listen, so that's, that's why most of the of the of the upheaval of voting records is because people move. <laughs> the mobile country. Yeah. So are you are you with William Barr that you're concerned about that, or are you with the Democrats who are saying just give everybody a ballot? How dare you protest? Uh, look, I'd like to see a really tight-knit system with effective ballot control receipts and answers to the questions that you had. Generally, your showing up in person is always supposed to trump any mail-in or absentee received before or after. That's always supposed to be the vote that counts. So, you know, I agree with you that there is chaos here. I'm not sure I entirely I'm kind of with the voters who want both. You know, I want a mail in option. I should, you know, in a theory, then instead of getting a ballot, I'd get a postcard that says, you know, and check off my mail in option and you'd, you'd return the postcard. And that would put in real controls. So that ballots wouldn't be going all over the place, but not be so complicated or require voters to reach out affirmatively. That would have been a smarter move than just sending mass ballots. True. Uh, Tell that to Nevada. Uh, I guess so. Hey, uh, Mark, always great to talk to you. I appreciate it. When's your next poll coming out? Uh, We're debating either just before the conventions or just after the convention. So. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll have you on then. Mark Penn, thank you so much. Managing Director of the Stagwell Group and Chief Strategist for Bill Clinton in 96 and Hillary in 2000. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with your calls in just a moment. 
Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. When you see um, entire media companies essentially exist to tear down Joe Biden, is there an equivalent to that on the left, tearing down Trump? Uh, there, there really isn't. And, you know, what I would say, it, it, it's a, it's really a diet of, of this type of information that a lot of these voters are getting. A lot of the voters that I talk to, I can, uh, you know, when I interview them, I do hear uh, them saying a lot of the talking points that sound very familiar from, from some of these shows, which I try to listen to when I'm out on the campaign trail or when I'm yeah. at home, uh, you know, watching TV. You know, you can you can hear these uh, these comments being echoed. Uh, by, by voters. And you know that this is the diet that they're on, uh, cons- you know, AM radio, uh, you know, conservative talk, uh, also social media. I mean, the Trump campaign is running a full-blown campaign on social media that is completely off the radar for, for a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, regular media uh, is not covering this. But, I mean, you have folks, Laura Trump, Kimberly Guilfoyle, Katrina Pearson, the campaign is, is running, you know, kind of a parallel campaign online. And, and if that's all they're getting, you know, to the exclusion of, of kind of the more traditional legacy media, uh, you know, then it, it really is no surprise kind of of what their understanding is uh, of this country and, and of our politics. Do you believe this? That was on Brian Stelter's show over the weekend, their Media Watch uh, version of uh, What's Wrong with the Media, which is basically What's Wrong with Fox. Brian Stelter actually asked, is there an equivalent to Fox News on the left? Called every other outlet and newspaper in the country, not called the Daily Caller or Breitbart? Are you kidding me? Everybody's against this president like no president in the history of man ever. I mean, Nixon had more support right day, one day before Watergate uh, from the general mass media than every day that Donald Trump has been there. Think about this every day, how you could have a media show and even ask that question, let alone get the answer that he got is inexcusable. I mean, my goodness, is he kidding? There should have been a laugh track with that answer. The Washington Post, you lose the editorial section. There's never a positive thing about Trump. Look what's going on with the economy. Is he the person to bring it? Is he the better one to bring it back? Let's look at that. Let's look at this from an objective point of view. Never happens. Even their news columnists are anti-Trump. Their stories are what Trump's not doing well. If you watch that press conference on Saturday with the executive order, the hatred and venom coming from these reporters with their voices just being strained in their hatred towards the president. That's what goes on on other channels. They don't even realize what's going on with the rest of the country. I'm Brian Kilmeade. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from New York and heard around the country and around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, Janice Dean's going to be with us shortly. As you know, Janice lost both her in-laws to the COVID virus in nursing homes when they were mis- they were given misinformation that they all had to go back to nursing homes. And uh, his uh, father-in-law and mother-in-law both died uh, within weeks of each other. She wanted to testify in Albany about what went wrong with the nursing home situation with 6,200 losing their lives. And at the last minute, they rescinded the application, the invitation. So she's going to be with us now and talk about how she is not giving up. 
and how it's been brought up. Rush Limbaugh was talking about it, too. And Fred Feitz will be here, uh, president for the Center of Security Policy, worked for President Trump for a while and for uh, President uh, and for President Bush. And keep in mind, Fred Feitz also good friends with uh, John Bolton. And neither of us predicted that John Bolton would go the direction he has gone. We'll talk about that and what's at stake with Joe Biden's foreign policy. It said, welcomes uh, China. Hey, uh, we're going to eat their lunch. Yeah, that hasn't worked out too well. We'll see. So both of them will be joining us. And, of course, we'll have you, one 408 7669 So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Well, we're definitely going to be somewhere between 200,000 and 300,000. And whether we're closer to 200,000 or closer to 300,000 depends on what we do and how this evolves. We've now had two waves of this epidemic. Yeah, we had uh, Scott Gottlieb, who knows what he's doing. The coronavirus drop and death rates don't in the U.S. as districts, big and small, debate getting kids back to school. What about you? I say put them back in. As a rescue package hits a brick wall, the president acts with some executive orders. Hypocritical critics take aim, but I see hustle and leverage on on behalf of the president. What about you? Number two. They are a revolutionary group that is interested in in some form of socialism, communism. They're essentially Bolsheviks. It's a form of, of sort of, it's a new form of urban guerrilla warfare. And Attorney General Barr is saying what Antifa is. He's calling it urban guerrilla warfare driven by a lust for power, and it's happening all in our major cities. These, uh, these are the words of our AG. Examples up, uh, cropping up every day, like Day 75 in Portland, like Seattle, as they respond to their violence by trying to cut police again. In Chicago, the looting went rampant, along with the shootings and gang disturbances. But most disturbing for me are what's happening in New York. It is not the same city. A thousand shooting victims. That is the cover of the New York Post. Nine got shot too fatally Sunday morning. How bad is this problem, and how do we stop it? Number one. Well, he's narrowed the field. He said it'd have to be a woman. I believe he believes it'd be a woman of color. So the field is a little narrow, and all of them have some pluses and minuses. Yeah, and there's a lot of minuses. 2020, after Biden's worst week in two weeks, this seems the worst two weeks you could imagine. This seems to be Trump's best chance to close the electoral gap with the former VP, who has to pick his own running mate this week. Why well, I believe it's Kamala Harris's to lose. So, Willie Brown, Kamala Harris's mentor, and maybe more. I think they were dating for a while. Do you know that for sure, Eric? I know you're into the dating thing, People Magazine, things like that. Uh, they were dating for a while, weren't they? No? Could you find out, could someone Google or use um, Bing? Because we don't want them tracking everything. So could we see if Willie Brown was dating Kamala Harris? He says, uh, my recommendation is the vice presidential job is a dead end. Be the attorney general. I think that's bad advice because never before is a vice president going to be more empowered than Joe Biden's vice president if he, in fact, wins November 3rd and bite your tongue that he does because he's going to run one term if that if he gets through it. And she'll be in good stead to run for president as the front runner, because unlike the Republicans who have Tom Cotton, Mike Pompeo, uh, Governor Nome, who have Governor Nikki Haley, uh, you have uh, Rick Scott, Tim Scott, uh, Marco Rubio. I mean, there are 15 legitimate contenders, Ted Cruz, to be the next nominee. Democrats have nobody. So this would be somebody that would be uh, have a leg up on, on the competition. So where is the president right now? Uh, when it comes to this election, 
Well, according to CBS and NBC, he's trailing the battleground states. I think the gap's going to close. If they have an honest poll, a candid poll that's accurate, I think they're going to have him closing down in all these states. And it's going to create a sense of panic for Joe Biden because he cannot win coming from behind. And this is my analogy that will probably lose most of my audience. The Miami Dolphins got to the Super Bowl with David Woodley as quarterback. But they knew if they got behind, they did not have the firepower to come back, and they lost. David Woodley was not a great quarterback. The guy who came next was this guy's name, Dan Marino. And still, he wasn't able to win. But I digress about the NFL in the 1980s. So where do we stand right now? What I think you saw last week was Joe Biden... Angry because he doesn't have answers. Angry because he's getting tough questions. Angry because his answers don't suffice. And I don't don't know if there's any reason to play him back right now, but just know this. He blew up at a black reporter who asked him about his cognitive ability, a question that was asked him two weeks before, and he had no problem with it. Here's Tim Murtaugh, who is the 2020 communications director for President Trump. Anytime Joe Biden is pressed and gets a question that he doesn't like, anytime he feels that he's under any criticism at all, he really loses his cool and he lashes out and he fights back. I mean, that's really not a great sign. That's maybe why the, the, his handlers don't let him out in public very often at all. Uh, the other thing is that when a black journalist asks him that question, not only does he get angry, but the first place his mind goes is to make a remark about illegal drug use and ask the guy if he is a cocaine junkie. And, and you know, th- this would be alarming enough if Joe Biden didn't have a pattern of this. You know, that was I was lucky enough to host Jesse's show over the weekend. I talked to Tim Murtaugh first, and this was the hot issue. The problem is when he's pressed, he snaps. I have no use for people. Everyone loses their temper, but every time under pressure, they lose their temper and they apologize later. I have no patience for it. He does not apologize later. His campaign didn't even. They clarified. But listen to Joe Biden in the past, recent past, as in the last few months, when pressed. I was a Democratic caucus. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were, but you're... You're You're a damn liar, man. That's not true. And no one has ever said that. And you want to check my shape on, let's do push-ups together, man. Let's do, let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. You said I set up my son to work in an oil company. Isn't that what you said? Get your words straight, Jack. But look, fat, look, here's the deal. We got to stop building and replacing pipelines. You got to go vote for something else. So he... Uh, calls the guy fat. He was a little overweight. Uh, get your word straight, Jack. All he said is, obviously, he invested in Burisma. What the heck would a guy in Delaware know about a Ukrainian oil company unless his father, the natural gas company, unless his father was traveling there and was in charge of it by the vice president? And then he travels to China and sets up something else after that. Now, I don't care where you stand. That is a that is a topic for discussion for any reporter who wants to get real answers from a legitimate candidate which Joe Biden was. He looked dead in the water at that time, but he was. And there you see, when pressed, he just says the craziest things. And what he said, get your shape on? So I thought the New York Post editorial was pretty telling, and I thought it was right to the point. What really gets me is what's happening in law enforcement, how they've been kicked to the curb to the point where a union, the police union, 700,000 strong, representing 700,000 policemen active, and so many others who are retired, endorsed President Trump. Biden didn't even send somebody to pitch his cause. And here's what, and by being silent, while everyone's 20 separate precincts are cutting their budgets, cities are cutting their budgets, and you look at $800,000 for the LAPD, a billion at minimum from the NYPD, 
You see what's happening in Minneapolis? Everywhere. So New York Post wrote an editorial I thought was right to the point. And it says, the headline is, Joe Biden's double talk on defund the police. Forget Joe Biden's endless gaffes and remarks he later takes back. Just try to figure out where he stands, even when he speaks clearly, such as defunding police. In a statement last month, his folks insisted Biden doesn't believe the police should be defunded. Later, though, asked if money should be redirected away from the cops, he replied, yes, absolutely. And the charter for the, his alliance with Bernie Sanders vows to reinvigorate community policing. Yet then on Wednesday, as a poll showed, 81% of blacks want more or uh, much or more police presence in their community. Biden, lo and behold, called for more funding for cops to handle the god-awful problems they face. None of these statements was a gap. It's just that even on a subject as vital as cops, Biden wants it both ways. Who knows where he really stands? How can you be in law enforcement, in the military, and support Joe Biden, if he does what he wants to do, you shouldn't support it. But the people that are putting him in office, James Clyburn, Bernie Sanders, AOC, they don't want Joe Biden's so-called moderate agenda that preceded his years with Barack Obama or actually existed during Barack Obama. Barack Obama doesn't even sound like Barack Obama anymore. He talked about getting rid of the filibuster. He talked about Jim Crow. He talked about Democrats like George Wallace saying how, how Donald Trump is bringing those days back. Well, he's not going to be a Democrat. That I guarantee. one 866 Now I want to get to Janice Dean, so I don't want to take too much of her time. Then Fred flights, and I'll end. I see all the lines are filling up right now, so that's great. I'll end with uh, all your calls, so stay put. Don't lose your place. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you take responsibility for that order and the role it may have played in those deaths? Yeah, the Republicans definitely are playing politics. How handling this COVID lives. virus. Yes, I understand that. Uh, Yes, we had more people die in nursing homes than anywhere else because we had more people die, because the federal government missed the boat and never told us that this virus was coming from Europe and not from China. What a cop out. My goodness. That has nothing to do with seniors dying. Janice Dean knows that. Fox News is a senior meteorologist who lost uh, both her in-laws to this virus, one right after the other when they got infected and got sent back. Uh, Janice Dean was supposed to testify at Albany about the reality on the ground in this situation to maybe fix things. Janice, what happened to that? Welcome back, by the way. What happened to the invitation? It got lost, I suppose. I was supposed to be on the list. I actually filled out all the paperwork and sent the letter uh, to all the lawmakers, I believe, July 28th, a few days before the first hearing. They told me they couldn't get me on that day, last Monday, but that I would be on today. I I had several emails saying that that was happening. Um, Assemblyman Kevin Byrne uh, was the one that was you know, emailing me back and forth and saying that he was talking to the chair and that the chair said, absolutely, she'll get her day on August the 10th today. And then I was supposed to hear something over the weekend. I never did. And I was told that I was taken off the list. Why? 
you know, I can only guess at this point. I think it went higher than the chair. I think that it was Andrew Cuomo or his administration that decided that they didn't want my voice to be heard. Um, and that's really unfortunate. I was going to watch today, Brian, um, but I have no desire to watch anymore because it just is another indication that they don't want a real investigation. This is a complete sham. Uh, and Howard Zucker, who did speak last week, and that was a complete uh, disgrace because he had zero answers uh, about, you know, not only, you know, he had a PowerPoint presentation saying why the order March 25th wasn't to blame for over 6,000 COVID deaths uh, in nursing homes, which I believe that the total is higher. And then he wouldn't answer as to what the real number was counting the seniors that died in hospitals that were transported from nursing homes. So he does not and will not give the total number of deaths and was supposed to speak today but he is not speaking today. So I just decided, you know what, I'm not going to waste my time. There's no Republican presence to press him, and they don't want to make Governor Cuomo, who's who runs New York like an absolute monarch, taking liquor license away from Queens, Queens bars over the weekend. Uh, they don't want to... Uh, they don't want to contradict him. Uh, they don't want to get in his face, even though it's life and death. What do you think? What went wrong? And is the federal government to blame? Well, listen... You can blame a lot of things on the federal government, but as far as I'm concerned, they gave Governor Cuomo everything that he wanted. They brought the comfort ship. They made the Javits Center into a, a makeshift coronavirus hospital uh, to transport people. And, and there was another one, another makeshift hospital that was profiled, I think, by the New York Times. And the nurses and doctors there were like on Facebook all day because there was no patience. So, you know, this mandate was signed by Governor Cuomo, March 25th, to allow COVID-positive patients into nursing homes for 46 days. And now he's saying, nope, that had nothing to do with the fact that we had thousands of deaths. Instead, he blames the nursing home workers and the visitors. And by the way, we couldn't visit our in-laws. So don't blame us. We couldn't go see them. Um so listen, a lot of blame can be put on the federal government, but as far as I'm concerned, here in New York, it's on Governor Cuomo. This is that he reigns over this state. And in the beginning, Brian, he said, you know what? If you have a problem with the response, you blame me. The buck stops on my desk. Well, since this has happened and nursing homes have been under fire. Uh, because of the coronavirus, you know, spreading like wildfire, taking my uh, in-laws along with the, uh, thousands of others, he has yet to take any responsibility or accountability. He has blamed every single thing and everyone else except the man that signed the mandate himself, Governor Andrew Cuomo. Wow. And, you know, of course, you couldn't have a funeral. You couldn't have a wake. Those are also part of his mandate. Got to make sure you don't do that, but it's okay to protest in the street and break uh, everything you could on Fifth Avenue and most of Seventh. So that was okay. Watching that was very hard, not only for me, but thousands of others who couldn't have funerals and wakes. We weren't allowed last rites. We didn't even know his dad was ill. We got a call on a Saturday morning that he wasn't feeling well. 
And three hours later, we get a call saying he's dead. And we didn't find out he had died of coronavirus until the death certificate. And then his mom, two weeks later, at a, in a separate facility, gets sick, gets diagnosed with coronavirus, is in the hospital. She dies. And her number does not count as uh, an assisted living or an, uh, an elderly care facility where she got the virus. That won't count as a, as a number. So, uh, you know, the only way we're going to get answers, Brian, is if there is an in independent investigation, not one that is conducted by the Cuomo administration themselves, which is what they did. They investigated themselves and said we didn't do anything wrong. And we need subpoena power. You know, the hearings today do not have anybody coming in that were ordered by subpoena. And that's the only way we're going to get answers. I'm not sure if we're going to get them. Uh, I would like to see a federal investigation. I would like to see a 9-11 style commission hearings on this because it's not just New York. Four other governors. Pennsylvania was pretty thing. terrible too, right? Yes, Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey, Michigan, and California. All of those governors had orders almost exactly the same order, by the way, as Governor Cuomo, saying that coronavirus patients need to be put into nursing homes. But uh, now when getting to the bottom of it, if there's a legitimate investigation, I made a mistake. That's one thing. It was, you know, we were in a breakneck pace. Our hair was on fire. We had to find out where this was coming from, running out of nurses, running out of hospitals, running out of doctors. But instead, it's no, that was my decision. Oh, whose fault was it? The federal government. They didn't tell us the virus was coming. No one buys that. He's blamed. He, he's done. He's you, I mean, you name it. He's blamed everything from the New York Post to Fox News to the president to God to Mother Nature. I mean, it's it's really gotcha. quite comical if you go back. Janice Dean, I hope you get your day in court. Blamed. I appreciate it. I will talk you, to you Brian. soon here on Fox News. Janice Dean continuing the fight. Fred Flights is next. Uh, we'll go inside this administration, national security policy. What is China up to? And what did they just do to 12 of our lawmakers? From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So this is not on the level. This is meant to attack and distract and deflect. And the main thing, Joy that they're trying to distract from, uh, whether they're attacking me or somebody else, is the horrific reality that under Donald Trump's watch, 150,000 Americans have died from coronavirus. 30 million almost are out of work, and our kids can't safely go back to school. That is the horror that we face now, and I understand uh, that the American people are feeling that pain very immediately. And I think, frankly, that is of much greater urgency and concern today than the tragic loss of Americans in Benghazi. Right. Uh, that was the tragic loss of Americans in Benghazi. What about uh, Bo Bergdahl uh, actually served with honor and distinction? You know, the deserter where people got killed trying to find him. Michael Waltz was one of those Green Berets out to find him. He wasn't too happy. What about a great recommendation to take down Gaddafi with no plan after Gaddafi was ousted. Now, last thing we know, S-400 Russian missiles, uh, defense missiles, were being put into Tripoli. It looks like Russia has the influence that we thought we would have, but we didn't have it. 
And then, of course, you know, with all the, the lying when it comes to Benghazi, she says it's no big deal because coronavirus is worse. Well, somebody who knows Susan Rice quite well, and clearly, even if she's not the VP, you know if Biden wins, she's going to have a prominent role, is Fred Flights, president of the Center for Security Policy, served in 2018 as deputy assistant to the president and chief of staff of NASA Security Council, and knows her uh, very well. In fact, the, the top of your column is five more things you probably didn't know about Susan Rice, and my words, none of it good. Fred, welcome back. Hey, Brian, good to be here. What do you know about Susan Rice? Well, I worked with her when I was a CIA analyst during the Clinton years, and she covered U.N. issues and peacekeeping for the NSC, and she was obsessed with U.N. peacekeeping. She helped put a, push a proposal called assertive multilateralism, which was a scheme to slash the U.S. military and to send lightly armed peacekeepers into war zone and peacekeeping uh, and, and uh, civil war situations. And we know, we know how that turned out in Bosnia, Somalia, Haiti, Liberia, Sierra Leone. It was an utter disaster. But on top of that, Brian, those of us in the government who knew this was a bad idea, that, I mean, you and I know the fact that you wear a blue helmet doesn't mean terrorists won't shoot at you. We told them not to do this, and she was part of an effort to silence policy and intelligence people who tried to warn the Clinton administration that this wasn't going to work. He goes on to say, what type of leader is she? She hated opposing views. She, she did. And I, for example, um, as a U.N. analyst, I try to bring her information on a whole variety of issues, including corruption in the U.N. And I try to bring her this information one time. She said, look, I don't want to hear it. Do you know how much money we spend on a B-1 bomber? And I had to figure out what that meant. Basically, what she meant was, I don't care how much money the U.N. wastes because the U.S. government wastes more. So I didn't try to brief her on that anymore. Unbelievable. Now, you point out that Hillary Clinton and Susan Rice didn't get along because she didn't go along with protocols at, at State Department? Well, Rice had a special relationship with President Obama since she worked for the campaign. And I don't think Obama particularly liked Hillary. And uh, a friend of mine who worked closely with Rice's office said the relationship between the two of them was just poisonous. And, I mean, I think this is an issue because she's a vice president who may have an enormous amount of power because we – I mean, to, to – to, uh, let's be frank. It looks like Joe Biden is suffering some type of mental decline. Is she going to stay in her role as vice president or is she going to freelance like she did when she was UN ambassador? Which is – Crazy because almost all of her instincts turn out wrong. The only person who may have worse instincts is Joe Biden. I mean, look at look at what her recommendations are. What did she do as UN ambassador? What did she miss of, of Russia's rise as she put out a hand to reset that relationship? And you also say that she was the one, not Clinton, who took the fall for the terrorist attack in the U.S. consulate in Benghazi. Uh, you think that Hillary outsmarted her by saying she was too tired to appear on those Sunday shows? Well, it was, it was certainly strange that the U.N. ambassador, not the secretary of state, went on four Sunday morning shows in September 2012 to talk about the terrorist attack on the U.S. consulate in Benghazi. Why did that happen? Well, Hillary said she was tired and she wasn't available. But Rice says in her memoirs, her mother said to her before the interviews, why do you have to go on the shows? Where is Hillary? I smell a rat. Now, look, if she's going to be vice president, or, or maybe they're going to make her secretary of state, I don't know. She's going to have to negotiate with some pretty wily and difficult people. She was manipulated pretty easily of Hillary Clinton. How will Putin manipulate her? 
Uh, good point. Uh, absolutely. The other thing is she's going to have a lot more power. She doesn't have any political background. And if she has one thing that Joe Biden has, that's foreign policy experience, but none of it good. Also, her willingness to lie. Let's think. No one told her to lie on those shows. There are ways to get around that. Fred, you're a master. Sometimes you have a, the truth is not ugly is ugly. And you don't come out and you can't just come out and throw the administration in the street. But there are ways of getting around it. Good politicians do it all the time. Instead, she flat out said that those those embassy eruptions were from a video. And we know that's she not true. She lied or she was too stupid to realize that couldn't possibly be true. Both are unacceptable answers for someone who is going to be running our government. Uh, for obviously, this video didn't cause these terrorist attacks, which, which took place both in Egypt and in Libya at the time. And the fact that she either lied about it or took these flawed talking points at face value raises huge questions about her leadership ability. And I see that all three of President Obama's defense secretaries panned, panned her uh, in their, in their uh, separate biographies of their time in the White House. So to me, Republicans should almost, if they want to win, and they seem to want to win, and now Trump does, the best thing that could happen to him be Susan Rice. You talked about, I mean, one of the best. I mean, Karen Bass is also ill-equipped to do this. She spent her youth plotting, uh, praising the Castro brothers. I mean, just loving uh, being an activist for these communist regimes. So to me, I have no idea why she's even a contender. And Susan Rice, because Vice President Biden backed himself into these qualifications to be a vice presidential candidate. It's got to be a woman, got to be a woman of color. Yeah, and, and the, the most important part of this op-ed, I ran a National Review on August 7th, is that I explain some really appalling bad decisions and ineptitude that she, that she was responsible for concerning uh, humanitarian crises and genocide in Africa. Let me give you an example. Sierra Leone. Nobody knows who Sierra Leone is. She was involved in an effort in the late 90s to remove a guy named Fode Sanko from prison in Nigeria and make him Sierra Leone's vice president. Now, Fode Sanko is a psychotic whose terrorist group was engaged in mass rapes and amputating limbs. And the argument in the Clinton administration was, look, once he becomes a statesman, he'll stop that. Well, that didn't happen. His group resumed doing that, uh, and, and he, he was ordering it. And in the end, because the, the Clinton administration was paralyzed on what to do, the U.N. turned to the British. They sent troops in, arrested Sanko, routed his, his troops, and um, the, the, US, the U.K. government is still regarded as a hero for doing that. She was in the middle of this. She was running uh, Africa policy at the State Department as Assistant, Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs. This is not the only foreign policy disaster she's responsible for, but I think it's one of the worst. You also talk about this uh, this rarely known Ethiopia Eritrea conflict that she was asked to broker and mediate a peace agreement. It went so bad, both capitals got bombed after she left, and she was brought back and was excoriated by Secretary then Secretary of State Albright and put on probation. This, according to Brett Stevens. That's right. What she did is she announced a peace agreement that one side had not agreed to. And after that happened, both countries started bombing the capitals of the other. Albright called her back to Washington, put her on probation, and had her watched because she was worried about what Rice would do. And, I mean, this is really stunning because Albright was one of her mentors, so she must have screwed up 
big time for Albright to do that. So, Fred, I'm talking to Fred Flights here who saw Susan Rice up close and personal. Uh, Fred, from the Republican perspective, would she be a gift? Uh, You know, frankly, I think all of Biden's vice presidential candidates are bad. And I think she'd be a real problem for our country because she's shown such bad judgment over and over again. I mean, it's not just spying on the Trump campaign. That was horrible. But bad judgment in situations of humanitarian crises and genocide, this is a different level of incompetence. Uh, There was another crisis she was involved in. I'm I'm sorry, this is on the Ethiopia-Eritrea one where – Brett Stevens wrote, an estimated 100,000 people would perish in the war that Ms. Rice so ineptly failed to end. And there are other crises in Africa that she mismanaged. So I just think she should be disqualified on any one of these instances, but the media won't hold her accountable. What about her role in the Iranian deal, which most Republicans that I've talked to and most clear-thinking people without a political agenda, not named John Kerry, uh, think is another disaster— she was part of that. She also wrote the memo on the day of the inauguration. There was a, the ultimate CYA memo saying that everything was done above board when it came to the Russia investigation and Barack Obama's administration. So you know that means she was at, inside that uh, process if she thought enough to write that CYA memo. We could talk for an hour about her incompetence. She knew very well that intelligence was being weaponized against the Trump campaign, the transition, and she and President Obama put put uh, measures in place to make sure that career officers continued to spy against Trump and to try to, to, to prosecute him after the election. And she did not tell her successor about this. You know, we have a a very important uh, process here called the peaceful transfer of power. That means the outgoing administration, for the new administration, of everything, ongoing foreign policy initiatives, domestic policy initiatives, keys to the offices. Michael Flynn wasn't told any of these things by Susan Rice, and, and it was on purpose. Fred, uh, the other guy, we have a mutual friend that we respect, John Bolton, and he really went rogue. Uh, I know I talked to you before on the air, and you didn't think he was going to come out and blast Trump, but, man, he did, as well as General Mattis and General Kelly from what he witnessed. Are you surprised? John was a friend for a long time. I, I'm, I'm disappointed because I, I think the things John is doing now seem to be intended to defeat the president in the election. And I wish he would think to himself, does he really want Joe Biden and Susan Rice to be running the country? I, I, I mean, I, I just don't understand why he's doing these things. I wish he would uh, rethink them and at least stay silent because he's doing a lot of damage. Besides the book, what else is he doing? Well, I mean, these speeches he's giving, taking pot shots at the president on a variety of foreign policy initiatives, I think his take on China, for example, was just dead wrong. The Trumps had a very tough policy on China. He's tried to get a trade deal and also hold the Chinese accountable. He's reversed his policy significantly because of the criminal negligence on the coronavirus uh, you know, basically, I, I think he's tried to walk a very difficult line. How could John Bolton disagree with getting out of the Iran deal? That was his dream. But as you and I talked about before, Bolton says the turning point in the turning point for him with President Trump, he says this in his book, was when the president refused to bomb Iran in June of 2019. And that was going to be in retaliation for shooting down of a drone. The president said it was disproportionate to kill 100 to 200 Iranians because they shot down a U.S. drone. 
the president was right. He overruled his whole foreign policy team. John Bolton is wrong. If that's his reason for turning against the president, I, I just don't think his arguments add up. My, my thing is, too, you know, listening to Anthony Scaramucci, who I'm friendly with, listening to a lot of these other people, and they say, well, Donald Trump, you know, he's he's too erratic. I don't like his policy here. But him on his worst day is better than the direction this country will take on Joe Biden's best day. And because you heard Barack Obama basically say to Democrats, get rid of the filibuster, this AOC agenda, this is not rhetoric. This AOC agenda of getting rid of natural gas and stopping drilling on oil and uh, begin to uh, bring our economy back, uh, bring our economy down with a tax plan that will sure to jack up rates on almost every American, including corporate rates, which was beginning to bring businesses back. I mean, that is the alternative. It's not Tom Cotton. Or Donald Trump. It's not Marco Rubio or Donald Trump. It's not Nikki Haley or Donald Trump. It's Joe Biden, AOC, and Susan Rice against Donald Trump. To me, is where is the where's the triage of priorities? That's exactly right. Look, let's be clear here. All of America's enemies, and I mean Russia too, they can't wait for Biden presidency. They walked all over Barack Obama. They see how weak Biden is, and if Biden refuses to debate, you can imagine there's going to be a celebration in Moscow and Beijing and Tehran because they know they're going to have the weakest presidency in history. The, the tariffs against China will come down. Uh, the, we will get back into the flawed nuclear deal with Iran. Putin will be walking all over Joe Biden. I mean, Biden's not sure where he is or what day it is. And I mean, our foreign foreign officials realize this. And, and so... I guess I'm troubled right now because intelligence agencies are trying to say, well, the Chinese and the Iranians want Biden to win, but the Russians want Trump to win. I don't believe that, Brian. I think all of our enemies want Biden to win, and the intelligence community is playing games again. And he cuts defense uh, to get these domestic programs off the ground, which will be a disaster. Fred Flights, thanks so much. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, when we come back, your calls one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. We're ready, but we but they have to meet us in the middle. They can't just come to the table and say it's our way or no way. We'll never get a deal. And the reason is not because we don't not because we want to thwart them, but because what they're proposing doesn't meet the dramatic needs of the American people. The greatest reset, the greatest economic problem since the Depression, the greatest health care problem since the Spanish flu. We need bold action. We're not going to settle for some skimpy thing that doesn't work. You know, what I called it, by the way, was what I call what I've been calling them. Uh, what I've been calling this is unworkable. Uh, um, uh, I got to remember the words, but they're good. Mike Barnacle's with Mike Barnacle's with us and has a question for you. Mike, far too narrow. That's it. That's the Mike. Words. Unbelievable. Chuck Schumer getting ahead of himself, but they got to get back to the table. Uh, and and enough with the executive orders. I give President full credit for doing something. Ann, listening on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Ann. Hi, Brian. How are you? You heard us talking to Janice before. Did you have a similar situation? Yes, yes I did. Um, 
It's horrible. My mother was in a nursing home. She contracted the virus, and she was transferred to JFK in Edison. She died alone without her family by her side. Oh, my goodness. And the bottom line, you know, I, I don't even comment about this, about the details on my Facebook page, Brian, but I did comment on Janice Dean's thread, her very first thread that she shared, her post. And um, I'm sickened because... Just bottom line, Brian, like you said, the Republicans are not showing up once again. I'm, I, I just want to cry right now. My dad has nightmares. This needs to be resolved. There needs to be accountability. I know. There they didn't go needs to, to be an investigation. Yeah, and I'm up against a hard break here, but it's true. They don't even let her get her day to hear the real story so it doesn't happen again. We could get hit by a second wave. What changes? So sorry to hear about your mom. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Excited to be with you today. It's going to be an exciting hour. We're going to talk to a gym owner going through hell right now thanks to Governor Cuomo refusal to open up the gyms. He didn't put them on a phase. He put them into the background. Thousands of people are out of work. So many can't stay healthy. So many cannot work out. And they don't have that discipline in their lives. And most importantly, so there's like two or three big chains that have gone belly up or in bankruptcy. Please give them a chance to get their living, uh, to make a living. Their margins are small to begin with. I give them total credit for doing it. There's a lot of people they keep employed. And there's a lot of positiveness that are just missing from people's lives. Peloton's great. The mirror's great. Whatever you're working on, Echelon is great. But there's something about going to a gym that can only work. A lot of people don't have any room for any of those things, nor the money. It's quite expensive. Uh, So Charlie Hurd is going to be on talking about the president, trying to close the gap in these battleground states and taking advantage of Joe Joe Biden's terrible two weeks. So we have a lot of that. And, of course, we have you, 1-866-408-7669. Hurd, we are live in New York City and Hurd around the nation. So let's get started. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Well, we're definitely going to be somewhere between 200,000 and 300,000. And whether we're closer to 200,000 or closer to 300,000 depends on what we do and how this evolves. We've now had two waves of this epidemic. Yeah, I know. We heard about it. Scott Gottlieb, coronavirus cases drop and death rates don't. The U.S., uh, as in the U.S., as districts big and small uh, debate ways to get kids back into the classroom. As a rescue package hits a brick wall, the president takes actions and gets ridiculed. Are you kidding me? He's making something happen, at least using executive actions. You know, the same people that love Barack Obama's pen and knows how to use it. They're upset that Trump's using the same pen. Number two. They are a revolutionary group that is interested in in some form of socialism, communism. They're essentially Bolsheviks. It's a form of, of sort of it's a new form of urban guerrilla warfare. Attorney General Barr laying it on the line, calling it urban guerrilla warfare driven by lust for power, and it's happening in all our major cities. These are the words of our AG. Examples of uh, examples of this are cropping up across our nation, Portland, Seattle, Chicago, New York, most disturbingly in New York, as we had a thousand shootings already. Well, this morning, the, excuse me, Sunday morning, there were nine shootings, two fatal, fate were fatal as gun sales go through the roof. That's in New York City. Once the safest city in America, now not close. 
Number one. Well, he's narrowed the field. He said it'd have to be a woman. I believe he believes it'd be a woman of color. So the field is a little narrow, and all of them have some pluses and minuses. Calling it like he sees it. After Biden's worst two weeks, this seems to be Trump's best chance to close the gap with the former VP about to pick his own VP. Why I believe it's Kamala Harris's to lose. But Willie Brown, the longtime mayor of San Francisco, says, I've been your mentor and I dated you for a while. Eric looked that up. And I'm telling you, don't take it, Kamala Harris. You don't want to be vice president. You want to be attorney general. And they don't like Barr and they think everyone will be better. But one thing that struck me is the amount of violence in this country and where it's coming from and the lack of curiosity on the left. Now, do I think that Joe Biden's pro-Antifa? No, I don't think he's pro-Antifa. But where's his condemning of this horrible group? Where's Nancy Pelosi saying, I'm for racial equity, but I am not for the damaging of our federal buildings, of our police union uh, situations, the buildings in uh, Portland specifically. And when you're burning and looting in Chicago, that is not okay. And I don't think it has anything to do with race. And you're right. And when the attorney general sits down with Mark Levin and lays it on the line in a calm setting where he has a chance to talk and express why he took the job and what he found when he got the job, I think is something really important. Here's Bill Barr on what he found drives Antifa. Cut eight. They are a revolutionary group that is interested in in some form of socialism, communism. They're essentially Bolsheviks. Their tactics are, are fascistic. It's a form of, of sort of, it's a new form of urban guerrilla warfare. You know, Mao used to speak, Mao Zedong uh, used to speak about the guerrilla being like fish uh, swimming in the ocean, the way the guerrilla moves through, through the people. The, the, the guerrilla hides out among the people as a fish in the, in the ocean. He, and he goes on, not only to talk about Antifa, what they're doing, how they're not helping America. They don't like America. They're the ones taking the statues down. They're the ones destroying our past. They also have a legislative branch working on an education system to push everything back and diminish what we are and the exceptionalism of what makes our nation what it is. So day 75 of Portland unrest. In Seattle, they've already voted to defund the government, to defund the police at an extremely high rate. They are desperate, are the average Seattle citizen, to make sure they don't do that because they're seeing the, uh, the, the chaos that's taking root. And I bring you to this one voice over in Portland. He says this, this black protester. He says, our voices aren't even being heard now. We show up in the evening and we're not even being heard. It says, quote, it happens so much that the things that we care about get hijacked and get put on the back burner. And that just gets uh, put into a big barrel with everything else. This, according to Neil Anderson, he's a black business owner. He goes on. We all want the same thing, but so often we get drowned out. Seneca Kaysen who helped lead the peaceful gatherings in downtown Portland, believes white protesters who commit vandalism and taunt law enforcement are distracting from peaceful protests. Quote, what the white people have here is something that we don't, and that's rights. We are fighting alongside them to be equal. But they've taken the message away. And haven't you noticed that? But you shake your head and you wonder, think, what would a police have to do to get control of this? And where is the message And as I brought up on television today, I spent the last two weekends listening to a lot of Martin Luther King interviews, not speeches, Malcolm X interviews, not speeches. A lot of them did Dick Cavett show, by the way. He had the best guests in the country, and he lets them speak. 
to the point where Jim Brown was in a debate, the running back was in a debate with this um, this this white governor. And Jim Brown at one point looked at Dick Cavett. He goes, are you going to say anything? But he goes on, James Baldwin, he was, you know, he was born in a, uh, a segregated southern state. And he came one of the most respected writers in the country, around the world. Didn't really love the country the way it was made up. But he was able to articulate it and debate it. And one brought the whole thing to Oxford. And it was fascinating. But we don't have that now. There's nobody. There's no dialogue on the other side because Antifa's dialogue is socialist. It's not nothing about George Floyd. I hope you recognize this. And I want Democrats to stand up and say, listen, I'm not against the cops. If they want to modernize the way they handle protests, go ahead. Law enforcement, fine. If you want to use the latest um, uh, weapons or, or tactics, let's do it. But this has nothing to do with that. Barr goes on. Cut nine. What they do is they are essentially shielding themselves or shrouding themselves in First Amendment activity. They go into the demonstrations, which are exercising First Amendment Amendment activity, and they insinuate themselves in there to shield themselves. That's where they swim. And what they do is they hijack these demonstrations and they and they provoke violence and they have various tiers of people from the sort of top provocateurs down through people who are their minions and sort of run the run the violent missions so that's the debriefing has to take place not only do we not get the the manifesto that drives antifa and bonds them we don't hear anything about them. We don't even keep them in jail. They're not even with these new bail rules, especially in New York City. There's very few reasons to keep anybody in jail. You could attack a cop. You don't even go to jail. You get processed and you're out the same night. That's how insane this is in America right now. We're doing the best we can to destroy our cities. And I think fundamentally at the basis of all of it is they hate the country and they hate Trump almost as much as they hate the country. These are not people trying to make us better like in the 60s and in the past. Even people we went to war in the Civil War to make our country a more perfect union and live up to our Constitution. We're not even doing that now. We'll see what happens. We'll see if these polls uh, close and we'll see if there's that silent Donald Trump voter because right now he's trailing by five or six in almost every battleground state in almost every poll, although it's closing, not rapidly, but closing. I think the next set of polls, I think that Joe Biden, depending on who he picks, will probably get a boost from his number two. But besides that, in terms of pure performance, the president speaking every night has helped. I think him taking action has helped. And I think that acknowledging the coronavirus came back and didn't go away in the summer has helped. But he's got to get the approval ratings when it comes to coronavirus close to 50 percent. Right now it's in the 30s in almost every poll. one 866 I'm going to talk about that and the election and what Trump has to do going down the pike. In terms of vice president, Kamala Harris is her to lose. But there is no one else in that field that's even formidable. Elizabeth Warren won't get it. Main reason, unlikable. Number two, she's white ish, because sometimes she says she's American Indian. And number three is if she resigns her position to become a vice presidential nominee, it's a Republican governor that's going to put a Republican senator in her place. And that simple move might allow the Republicans, despite how the election might come out, to keep the Senate. So they're not going to do that. Uh, Governor Whitmer, I don't see it. Do you? I mean, does that is that is that governor charismatic? Is that is that the type of person that you'd Break your 
unpublished vow of going for a woman of color to get Governor Whitmer of Michigan. And then you have uh, Karen Bass, who spent her teen years fighting for communist Cuba. Good luck with that. And never really let go of it. Val Demings, Democrats don't like cops. Kamala Harris, Susan Rice. Can't go over all the floors with Susan Rice and still get Charlie Hurd in today from the Washington Examiner. I see you up there. Be a little bit patient. I'll be able to get to you at the bottom of the hour. Coming up next, uh, Charlie Hurd, the president's prospects this week after issuing four executive orders to take some action to rescue those suffering from the coronavirus. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It was unconstitutional slop. Uh, While it has the illusion of saying we're going to have a moratorium on evictions, it says, I'm going to ask uh, the folks in charge to study if that's feasible. While he says he's going to do the the, uh, uh, payroll tax, what he's doing is undermining Social Security and Medicare. Uh, So these are uh, illusions. It's true. I mean, that it is where the payroll tax goes. But it's on hold to give people make under $100,000 more money because you couldn't. He also went to the student loan and said, guys, don't pay. Don't worry about paying it back until December 31st. And then he also said he's going to push to uh, to make sure landlords don't evict. But there's no guarantee. So he made four major moves uh, in order to give some relief for those suffering economically from the coronavirus. Joining us now to discuss this is Charlie Hurt, Fox News contributed columnist for The Washington Times. Charlie, he took action. Good morning, Brian. He took action. Yeah, no. I mean, even Ben yeah. Sass, I'm disappointed. Does he know that he was given no choice? Yeah, exactly. I, and I, I mean, I do get, I get the constitutional concerns about sure. it, and I, I do have respect for that. Um, and, you know, I don't know, you know, th- these things are always, I, I always get uh, a little bit uncomfortable anytime you, you, we're talking about executive action. But two things. One is, first of all, where was Nancy Pelosi when, when uh, Barack Obama clearly went way over his skis in terms of de- doing executive action that I would argue actually really truly hurt the American taxpayer? But here's the other thing, Brian. I mean, you're in a pandemic. You're in a national crisis. And how screwed up is a situation where it becomes a uh, it, it becomes a constitutional crisis for the president to, to to decide that taxpayers are allowed to keep the money that they have earned in a national crisis? That in and of itself is is I mean we're in like la la land. This is just this is crazy. The the bare minimum. That should happen in a crisis like this is that people should be able to keep the money that they earned. The other thing is, listening to Nancy Pelosi saw about undermining Social Security and Medicare. You know what undermines Social Security and Medicare, which is on the brink of insolvency? 
is is people like Nancy Pelosi who have been in Washington for 50 years blowing through taxpayer money, piling up trillions of dollars worth of debt over decades and decades, leaving the, uh, the, that program, stealing from that program in a government Ponzi scheme. And I know I'm saying a lot of things that, that it sounds sort of crazy, or but it's every bit of that is absolutely true. They have been stealing from the fund. They spend that money as soon as they get it. They pile debt on it. That's what undermines Social Security and Medicare. No kidding. So the president makes his announcement, takes some questions, and then you see the tone and the shrillness of the reporters condescending questions. How could you do this? Uh, asking him about the uh, the Right to Choose Act when it comes to the VA. The, but the anger, just the venom coming out, and he walked out, and everyone writes it up like these. These the press forced him out. He was done. He didn't have to take any questions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and again, you know, where were, were those tough questions oh. back when President Obama was rewriting the the uh, the, the health care law, Obamacare law that he had passed? Where was where were these tough questions when he right. was unilaterally uh, shredding the Constitution so over DACA. Nothing. Or Charlie, I got something for you that'll make your day. This is a serious question. It is not the onion. Here is Brian Stelter asking this question on his show. <laughs> when you see um, entire media companies essentially exist to tear down Joe Biden, is there an equivalent to that on the left, tearing down Trump? Uh, there, there really isn't. And you know, Do you what believe I that? Is- Do you believe that question? It's because, and, and you know what, actually, uh, in defense of Brian Seltzer, uh, he was actually, he, he was right about one thing. It's not on the left. It's the entire media. Ah. There isn't anything on the left. That is there. It's everybody. There's like a little sliver of like 5% of the media that is actually still today, and Fox News and the Washington Times are two of those uh, entities that are still struggling every single day to report the news fairly. Obviously, both the Washington Times and Fox News, they, they, they invite opinion from across the spectrum, but, they, but the news divisions are struggling mightily every day to, to cover this guy uh, fairly and accurately and without <laughs> fear or favor. The whole rest of the media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, all of them have completely shredded all pretenses of trying to cover this guy fairly. And it's all become this, it's this weird religion where they, and it's all accepted religion. They all hate the guy. Anything is fair. Anything to destroy this guy. But do you really think that he did not know the answer to that question? I don't know what's scarier. I know I do. No, actually, I think that they are. Uh, I mean, if, you know, you can never you, you'll never go out of business in Washington by being too cynical. And so uh, so so in that in, uh, under that school, you would assume that 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 Seltzer did know and he was knowingly lying. And it's all part of a very elaborate, knowledgeable artifice to sort of prop up the, the news industry as some sort of fair and balanced operation, which it's not. But the other side is I, I also think these people are so stupid. They are so uh, they're so drunk on their own <laughs> incestuousness and I their know. own ignorance that I, I think it's entirely possible that, that it just sort of went over his head. But I made your day with that soundbite. I know I did. Yeah, Good luck awesome. on the farm, yeah. Charlie. 
Thanks, buddy. You got it. Hey, listen, uh, when we come back, it's all your it's all about you. one 408 7669 Brian Show. It's a great Monday. Thanks for being with us. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. So we have to do a number of things together. In terms of you know simple things like um, diagnostic testing results coming back much more quickly, it's, it's it's unacceptable for the country to have to have testing come back a week or even two weeks later. It's not useful at that point. There's no point in even doing the test. Hundred percent right, and you shouldn't have to pay for them either. And that you do. You tell the labs if you can't get these tests back. You're not getting paid, and then the labs will be smart about it. We can't take a risk. So, therefore, when you call up to find out if your lab, that lab in your neighborhood can take you, they will say no, and you'll move to another lab because the testings are out there. And they'll be accountable because then that person running that lab will say, we just did 25 tests. We got reagents. We sent them to the lab. We got the results. We emailed them out, and we're not getting paid. That'll make people accountable. Patty, listening online in Smithtown. Hey, Patty. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? I have I have a question. If Biden absolutely does, shows that he's incompetent during the debate and he just fluffs everything up, what what kind of um, reaction, what, what would the Democrats do and how would that affect the early voting? Well, that's the hope. And that's why President Trump wanted to move him up move all these debates up and they should have like they moved up the Indian moved back the Indianapolis 500 they moved they have a college football people adjust a college football championship now people adjust to the times but this stupid commission won't adjust to anything now the early voting you can't undo your vote but what it will do if he falls flat on his face and Trump is already preparing got Chris Christie playing Joe Biden if he falls flat on his face that'll convince independents and uh, and uh, independents and moderates that Trump's their guy because you can't count on him and you might as well be electing AOC, who is only attractive to a small sector of society. Helen, listen on WXJB. Helen. Yes, Brian, I love your show and I listen every day. Thank you. Um, I have a comment and a quick comment and then a question. Uh Teachers are no longer essential, and our children getting a good education is no longer essential. That's disgusting. Um, my question is, can President Trump go on Fox for an hour, hour and a half, stand at a lectern on a stage, and debate the Bernie AOC Biden platform? He doesn't need Well, I mean, Biden he could do there. that at a different and time, but think, we, you know, he'd have to pay for his time to be on our channel. But he could always debate that platform, absolutely. I don't, I don't think Biden, Biden is even aware that he has gone full socialist. These are no longer Democrats. I've been calling them socialists for three years and got laughed at. I'm no longer getting laughed at. Just read their, uh, what they're gra- graffitiing the sides of walls and streets. Uh, they are, it's a fist. It's a socialist fist. And you just heard our attorney general say that these Antifa in the streets are looking to th- overthrow the government. Uh, Lisa, listening to WABC in Long Island. Hey, Lisa. 
Hey, Brian. Uh, please do not have Chris Wallace be a debate uh, person because he hates Trump. He's a Democrat. He gives Joe Biden soft interviews, laughs and smiles, and he attacks our fabulous president, uh, Donald Trump. He's a leftist Democrat. We we want to see Harris Faulkner or others. Well, not he's Trump. not on Trump's list, Lisa, but he does a fair job. He was very fair with Hillary in that last debate. And I also think that he will blister Biden. And that's why Biden will not go up against him. It's a lot different. When you're in the primary, you're going against 12 people, you hop on your show via remote for four minutes. That is in March, in the middle of a pandemic. That is not the same as you are the nominee. I just went after the president pretty hard. And by the way, the president liked it. He did was not upset with Joe Biden at all. Excuse me, with Chris Wallace at all. If he sits down with Chris Wallace, he'll give him a hard time. I think Chris will be fair. I think Lisa should give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt, especially what he did with Nancy Pelosi this weekend. He he roasted her. He was fair to her, but he went after her hard. Mark, listening online in the villages. Hey, Mark. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good. How you doing, Brian? It's it's so awesome. You guys got um, Allison back. Yeah, Allison. It was my decision. She was on suspension uh, for a while. <laughs> Allison, whose decision was it for you to come back? All yours, Brian. It was all mine. All yours. Right. She had at least <laughs> oh, two kids so, on the break. That is so so awesome. You guys are great. We we met you both in the villages. Um, the point, I, um, what, I, what, what I wanted to say was, you know, Kumo's always sitting there blaming Trump for this and blaming Trump for that, when in reality, Trump gave him the authority to make the decisions yes. that he needs to make. To make, and then he turns around and he's blaming everybody else other than than himself. You know, Trump gave him enough rope, and he hung himself, is what he did. So the thing is, we know who truly missed the boat. Mark, he, Mark, here's the thing: the numbers are great. Not in New York. In terms of New York City, you have uh, gun violence is doubled already. We're in August. Shootings are up a thousand. That's the cover of the New York Post right now. A thousand shootings. Two were killed Sunday morning. Nine overall Sunday morning. When things are usually quiet, we have people moving out of this place. The uh, commercial real estate is going through the toilet. And you have uh, an estimated $1 trillion already left the city. You could say he's not directly responsible, but he's responsible. He is happy with the numbers. We're all happy with the numbers. But if you watch this virus, it comes ripping back. And you have to be ready for it. And I don't think we're ready for it right now. And any time there's blame to be handed around, he always points fingers. Now... When Joe, if Joe Biden's elected, and I hope he's not, do you know what he's saying? I'm going to decide what so what state should lock down. Really? Good luck with that. These governors have been empowered. The federal government is in support. Now you're going to start telling Mississippi, okay, lockdown. Really? Good luck with that. Republican governors have a hard time getting the Democratic mayors and vice versa to respond. Now you're going to sit there in Washington and you tell Montana to lock down and Florida to lock down. Good luck. Not going to happen. Uh, let's go out to Jane in Mississippi, where things are not good with the coronavirus. Right, Jane? That's right. How are you doing today? Good. Good. Um, I am so... I want to say that if Nancy Pelosi can say the virus is moving like a straight train, our President Trump is moving like a passenger train. In a they good way? They cannot keep up with him. 
We'll see. You know, he does move. People want to say that he golfs a lot or he's always off. No, he's not off. He never stops. He's got no hobby. He plays golf, but the whole time on golf, he's actually talking policy. And he always golfs with people that, that are helping him formulate, formulate his campaign or policy. So uh, that's just the way he does things. That's the way he lived his life. I know uh, somebody that hung out with him when he was in his 30s and 40s, and they used to do business all day, and then when it was came to hang out at night, all he wanted to do is talk business. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. And they're like, listen, we, we need a break. He never wanted to take a break because his recreation is his business, and now it's his, it's his politics. Jake listening in St. Louis, Florida, St. Cloud, Florida. Hey, Jake. Hey, Brian. Uh, thanks for taking my call, man. I, uh, I wanted to kind of preface my question with what's going on in my life right now. I, um, I moved here to Florida at the end of last year with me and my family, my three kids and my wife. And we started out by starting a job. I was in the 90-day probationary period when the coronavirus hit and I lost my job. When I went to apply for unemployment... Um, they said I wasn't employed long enough, didn't have enough credits, et cetera. So ever since this happened, I've been doing everything I can to earn money for my family, uh, whether it's DoorDash or car detailing or landscaping or helping people clean their attic or whatever I can do to, to make money. It takes me almost uh, – DoorDashing alone takes me almost 12 hours to make 110 bucks. Wow. For, for one day just to – just to make enough for the month to pay rent, basic utilities, stuff like that. Well, it's terrible. So, uh, so Jake, how old are you? 34. So I'm thinking DoorDash and Ubers, Ubers of the world, does not pay anyway. So what they else? Suck. What else? Where else? <laughs> yeah, where else are you looking? Um, I've been most of my life. I've been a landscaper, so okay. I, I thought Florida would be a great place for landscaping. But not a lot of people have money to be paying for landscapers and the city has like half its half its crew uh universal orlando keeps cutting uh that's where i started working they keep cutting employees back and so i i don't have a chance going back there right now um so my question was um this plan that the uh the president set up this this weekend um we need that stimulus check, unfortunately. I hate saying that out loud. I've never been in this boat listen, where I needed but, that. But here it is. You're going to get 1200 bucks right off. Then you get unemployment, which I know you're having problems uh, eligible for. I'm not sure if you're not going to be eligible for unemployment. I'm not sure if you're going to be eligible for the supplemental. Right. Right. Well, my, my question, my, my thinking is, do you think that the president um, kind of set – up this uh, this executive order this weekend that was really not that great. I mean, he's got my vote all day long, but this plan that he did this weekend wasn't the best. Do so, you think he did that so that it would set a fire? Abs- Jake, you're 100% right. It's about leverage. It's, uh, I'm not going to sit here and just let you guys stare each other down. I'm taking action. And he'll pull, you heard Peter Navarro, maybe you heard Peter Navarro on Sunday. And they said, well, Peter, if they come up with a deal, what happens to the executive order? He says, there won't be any need for him. So you could be critical of the executive orders, but if you noticed, even Chuck Schumer today wasn't saying, I'm going to sue to show that it's unconstitutional. He's saying, we got to get this done. This is going to be ineffective. That's fine. Use it as a reason to get back to the table. Good luck, Jake. I know it's a, it's a hard slog, but you'll, you'll prevail. Just keep working hard. one 408 7669 When we come back, 
So about hard. What about if you're a gym owner or you work in a gym? If you're in anywhere between 16 and 25 states, you have been out of a job for nine months. What's it like? We're about to find out. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. We know gyms are highly problematic. Not from our experience, because we haven't opened them. But we know the other states, they've been highly problematic. We know from the other states, they opened them and they had to close them. That is not true. In Florida in particular, I know for a fact they've adjusted. Uh, They cut down the number of people there. You make an appointment, everyone's adjusted. I was just there. That was the case maybe two months ago. And there's still no difference right now. Uh, joining us now is Charles DeFrancisco. He's a New York owner uh, suing Governor Cuomo to allow New York gyms to open. Uh, you can follow him at the Arena Fitness at, at thearenafitness.com. Spent almost his entire professional life in the fitness industry. Charles, how are you dealing with governors like this, Governor Murphy, Governor Lamont, and others who shut down your industry? Hey, Brian, thanks for having me on the show. We are filing a lawsuit. We filed a lawsuit. We have banned together uh, all the gyms that we're working with in New York with the New York Fitness Coalition. Charles Cassera is uh, the guy who started it. And uh, I got involved because a good friend of mine that I work with that owns another gym that I started my career at, Phoenix Fitness in Tuckahoe, uh, him and I were talking and decided we want to start a lawsuit. And then we went and found uh, this guy, Charlie Cassera. So you can imagine how confusing it is. There's three of us. I'm Charlie. The guy who owns Phoenix is Charlie. And the guy, Charlie, that's starting the coalition. So uh, our conversations on three-way are confusing, to say the least. So uh, that's that's what we're doing right here. You know, the, the statements from the governor are ridiculous. I don't know what gyms he's talking about because in 44 states, gym, gyms have been open. And we have the numbers and the data to prove that you're no more likely at a gym to get COVID than anywhere else. And that's what we can't understand. But, Charles, by nature, by definition, most people in the fitness business are disciplined. They're focused on health and fitness. And you're denying people like you the opportunity to make a living, to give a chance. They don't mind opening up a bar and then sending monitors in. Send monitors into health clubs. Make sure they're doing everything you say they should do on a protocol in which you outline. But leaving them shut should not be an option. It's, well, it's beyond ridiculous, especially when there's no, you know, bailout or course of action. Are we just supposed to go broke? Are we just a bunch of meathead idiots that open gyms and should just go broke? That's far from the case. You know, unfortunately, many people who look at gyms the way Cuomo does looks at it as maybe a dirty place where a bunch of meatheads go and work out. That certainly may have been true 30 years ago, but the fitness industry has come a long way. We have a duty of care to our clients and patients, a standard of care that we must follow. You know, gyms have been being cleaned beyond the protocols that the governor has put forth way before these protocols. We've been cleaning in restaurants, bars, and every other place since the beginning of time. That's just the way the gyms operate. We have to. So you also have a special needs class there, too. Tell us about that. All right. So I have a special needs child. My son's autistic. And I started doing some training with him as a, when he was really little. And I saw some great results and decided that I should make it a business and offer it to people around, you know, other people in my, uh, in my area. So I actually built a, a special studio gym in my gym. I have about an 8,000 square foot facility in White Plains. So we, we cut out a, a certain area of the gym. 
built a jungle gym, trampoline, you know, the whole bit. And uh, we were doing great. We had kids of all abilities coming, working with all the different organizations, doing charity work. So when this got shut down, I said, all right, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I think there should be a 1,000 people in the gym. But there's no reason why we can't operate with one-on-one or, you know, at a 25 or, you know, a smaller capacity like other businesses. It just doesn't make any sense. I actually applied to be an essential business for my special needs program, which is in a separate location in the same building, separate entrance, and you would only have one person in the room at a time. Did you get anyone to listen to you? Did you get anyone to listen? I was refused. No, I was refused. They said it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't essential. But just remember, liquor stores, Carvel, Home Depot, shopping centers that don't need to be open, all unhealthy places like liquor stores and Carvel are open, but our special needs children can't go and exercise for mental health. And Charles that can't be more ridiculous. Where are you at with the class action suit? What has the lawyer told you? When are you gonna get your hearing in court? So we have something coming up, I believe, this Thursday, the thirteenth. Uh, Cuomo has to basically give proof of why we're closed instead of making up science, just like they make up fake news. I guess it goes hand in hand. So that's what we're waiting for. And then uh, we go to trial on the 20th. I don't have every detail about the lawsuit because uh, my uh, colleague Charlie Casera is running that. I'm working, you know, more kind of in the back end. I w- I've also been an expert witness and testified in court many times. So when I hear Cuomo say everybody knows, that's the first thing a lawyer says when they can't prove something. Everybody knows. Three hundred. It's ridiculous. Three hundred thousand people die of obesity every year. We've already lost one hundred sixty thousand to COVID. Do we have to lose even more people because they can't afford to buy a Peloton, or uh, sign up for Echelon, or get a mirror and or have room for any of these things? All these well, people can't work out. All these businesses like you can't make a living. They're, they're going to lose thousands of businesses, which is tax revenue, too, which is going to hurt the commercial uh, real estate business, let alone individuals. Final thought, Charles? Oh, they're destroying everything. And, you know, gyms and fitness are the only defense that's proven to combat against COVID. The healthier you are the more unlikely you are to get sick or to die from COVID. It's just a fact, and that's been proven time and time again. Activity is great for mental health. Gotcha. I mean, look at the suicide rates. It's, uh, it's, it speaks for itself. Better, uh, Best of luck, Charles. you got to win. Charles uh, DeFrancisco, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank Thanks you. for listening. Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.